All right, good morning. Good morning. I had to get the microphone hooked up. I wanted to start the recording right off. Just, uh, happy Halloween. <laughs> now that sounds uh, a little strange because uh, we don't necessarily wish happy Halloween from behind the pulpit, but let me tell you why. Uh, any... I don't know. You're interrupting me. Okay. Uh, we uh, we talk about Halloween or Old Hallowed Eve because it's the day before what? All Saints Day. All Saints Day. Okay, some of you remember that uh, you know, that uh, the reason for it. And I'm not going to get behind all the the uh, worship and all the specifics of it. But I wanted to remind us of something. Uh, All Saints Day uh, is a device uh, conjured up by mankind uh, that recognizes saints. Okay, and some of you know what that means. Uh, some of us uh, might think about St. Mary or St. Joseph or St. Bartholomew or uh, um, some St. Louis. Louis. All right. Uh, some of us might... Uh, Remember that the holiday was initially thought of as a recognition of those who were martyred for their faith uh, back in those days. Uh, but I wanted to just spell out something because it ties so closely to what we're talking about today. And that is why I wanted us to remember this holiday and take it back from what it's become. Okay, because it has become um, the uh, main holiday holiday for a certain social group. It has also become a holiday that tends to uh, glorify uh, evil in our culture. Uh, but I wanted to take it back and remind ourselves, number one, who are saints? Yes. Every single one of us are saints. All right. So even though uh, the holiday was initially designed by a Catholic organization way, way back when to recognize people who were canonized as saints biblically you and i are saints if you have received the lord jesus christ as your personal lord and savior you are a saint okay so with that in mind go to ephesians we'll be in leviticus i promise you we're going there but i want us to remind ourselves of this because it's of, of utmost importance in context of what we've been talking about okay uh as you're flipping remember the context is standards of daily holiness. Okay, and we'll be in Leviticus in a few minutes again, and uh, we'll look at verse 2, that theme verse of the whole book. Holiness is synonymous and comes from the same root word as sanctified, set apart, or the word saint. They all have the same root word. So holiness, being set apart, is the same concept as being a saint. You don't have to perform a recorded miracle. You don't have to give to the poor. You, don't, you have to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior to become a saint. So when it rolls around and it All Saints Day shows up, you can thank the Lord that you and I are saints. Amen? Again, I don't like surrendering stuff in this world to teaching and concepts that are not truthful. Okay? You're going to talk about what a saint is in the Bible... It is you and I. And here's a great verse. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And I like the qualification here. And this is just intro to this morning. 
But Ephesians chapter two, uh, 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Jesus Christ. So he actually makes a differentiation here between saints and then those who are faithful. Okay, and again, uh, I, I just wanted to be clear that he even says there are people who are saints, and then those uh, of those they are there are some who are faithful. Right? We get to heaven someday, and we're looking forward to God telling us, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." Okay, that that's a qualification that God gives to those who have served Him well. Well, here He says, "Listen, Paul says, listen, all you members of the church, all of you saints." I want to uh, write this letter to you. So he's talking to the majority of, and again, we're not doing a study on saints today. I can take you to quite a few other passages of scripture where the apostle Paul says this same idea about all the saints which are in Christ Jesus, all the saints which are in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about a specific, very small group of people who are more spiritual than the rest of us. Okay, and if you were in Sunday school this morning, or if you were on Wednesday night Bible study, we were looking at the book of Job. And Job actually says something interesting here. Do not ever make the assumption that there are people in this world who have a higher spirituality and a, a greater ability to understand God's truth or be used of God than you and me. And see, that's the problem. I have a big issue in our culture in this world today that talks about clergy and laity okay where the clergy is some sort of higher up spiritual group than the laity okay about matter of fact my uh, my bible tell talks about the fact that god hates that okay he hates the doctrine of the nicolaitans meaning the laity is less than the clergy okay i'm setting all this up for you and i this morning we are all on equal ground. The only one who is high and lifted up above anyone is Christ. Okay? So keep that in your mind. And I'm not, I don't care what religious group you are from, but there are de definite dangers, and we can see them, when you establish one human being above another. Because then that human being begins to assert their will and their teaching and their truth over others. We have the truth. And again, this morning we talked about this. All you and I need to know, every one of us, is right here. And the same Bible that I have in my hand is the same Bible you can have in your hand. The same Holy Spirit that dwells within my heart is the same Holy Spirit that dwells within yours. In Job, Job says this when he's talking, his counselors has come to him, his best friends, and said, Job, here's what you need to do because of all your problems. <clears throat> we, 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 we know what we're talking about, so... We're going to tell you a few things and listen to what job says in chapter 12 verse 3 he says i but i have understanding as well as you i am not inferior to you yea who knoweth not such things as these so job is actually saying to his friends listen i know the same stuff as you do why are you trying to pretend you're more spiritual and more connected with god than i am so all that is wrapped up in the idea of all saints did so tomorrow on November 1st, on All Saints Day, pat yourself on the back because God saved your soul. Because we're all saints if you've asked Jesus to be your Savior. Now, thank you, Pastor, for filling in this holiday. I want you to understand if being a saint 
is someone who is set apart. Being a saint is someone who is holy. There we go, back to Leviticus chapter 19, as in verse 2, Jesus, uh, God says, Be ye holy, as I, the Lord thy God, am holy. God wants us to be saints. He doesn't want us to be folks who've gotten a get-out-of-hell-free card. He wants us to act like people who represent him. And this is the daily walkthrough in this chapter on how we can do that. All right, you with me? So that's intro. Let's do a little review, and then we'll talk about the next couple points. All right? We talked about the fact that on the Sabbath day, you remember the creation of this universe. And on the first day, you remembered God, God's redemption of this universe. And the two are tied together. Okay, there is no Sabbath without the first. Somebody try to count to seven without one. Uh, you can't even start. Okay, you have to have the first. All right, it sets it up. And we're going to see another verse in a few minutes that reminds us of this very fact. Then we talked about honoring your father and your mother. Okay, number one, that these all these laws are only completed and fulfilled if you have a proper relationship with someone. It's not about facts and figures. It is about having a personal relationship with God and having a personal relationship with God's people. Okay, and we talked about that the last several weeks in 1 John, about that love of God and love for his people. Those two things are inseparable when it comes to successful walk in Christ. But we also talked about the fact that many of us are going to be hindered in our walk if we do not have the proper relationship with our parent or parents. Okay? Now, please, they may not want the proper relationship with you, but you need to make sure you establish your proper relationship with them. Okay? And we talked about it. Paul says it's the only, or the, excuse me, the first commandment with promise. Honor your father and mother that your days will be long on the earth. Okay, and we know all throughout God's word, the teaching is the reason we are on this earth is so that we can serve God. So if honoring your father and mother allows you to be here longer to serve God, then dishonoring your father and mother that would then make you not as able to serve God. And maybe your days would be shortened. Okay. So we talked about taking care of these unresolved issues. How many of you chose your mom and dad? I did. I chose them, right? I, I picked in and, I mean, before you were born, I communicated with God. You know, Lord, I know I'm just about, uh, about to be uh, put in my mom's womb. Here's the family I want. Uh, well, he didn't have a phone. He texts. Okay? No, we got assigned to the parents that God saw fit that we should have, correct? Well, when my parent, my mother was a prostitute, my father was a drug addict. Do you think that surprised God? Or do you think he knew exactly who your parents are? God allows us to be in certain situations in our lives because he is preparing us to be used by him. We're studying Job. I won't get into his history, but how about Joseph? How many times in Joseph's life do you look and go, "Wow, I can't believe it!" You know, here's a guy who was trying to do his best, and the Lord brought the Lord brought him through those certain situations because he needed to be prepared for what God had for him. 
So if your mother was a prostitute and your father was a drug addict, God had a reason for that. You need to honor your father and mother because if you don't, you're actually dishonoring God because he's the one who assigned you those people. And if you think God made a mistake, no wonder you're hindered in your service for the Lord because God doesn't make any mistakes. And then on top of that, listen carefully, God don't make no junk. So even if you got it put into a family that was not so cool, God knew exactly what he was doing. He has made you exactly the tool. He has fashioned you exactly to his glory. Never underestimate that. Now, please understand, we're talking about daily holiness. And if we're not realizing, well, you know, God could use me if I wasn't such damaged goods. Who said you're damaged goods? That's the devil whispering in your ear. Because you've got two considerations. Either if you're damaged goods, well, welcome to the club. Because we're all damaged goods. Or God is greater than everything and has a plan for you and I, and he's designed you to be exactly what you're supposed to be. Flaws and all. Okay, that's a reminder of where we've been. Then we talked about materialism. God says, watch out for covetousness. Because if you have a wrong attitude to the things in this life, before you know it, you're making idols of gold and metal and wood. And you think, oh, well, I don't have any little statues in my house. Well, how about your car or your boat or your house or your cell phone? I reach in my pocket to find mine that's down there. Okay, There are many things we can use to replace God in our commitment to him, right? We talked about having a passion for serving the Lord. But too many of us have turned over the passion of our life to working for the material things that we have. Um, review. Today's verse, let's look at verse 5 together. You with me? Chapter Leviticus chapter 19, starting in verse 5. And if ye offer sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord, ye shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day ye, uh, ye offer it, and on the morrow, and if aught remain until the third day, it shall be burnt in the fire. And if it be eaten at all on the third day, it is abominable. It shall not be accepted. Everyone that eateth it beareth his iniquity because he hath profaned the hallowed thing of the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, what it teaches us. Lord, thank you for these nitty-gritty, down-to-earth, everyday concepts that we're looking at. Father, being a saint is not performing some miraculous act. Father, it is not uh, living holier than thou. Father, being a saint is being set apart in every single day of our lives. Not just a Sunday, not just for a certain time, but Lord, walking with you daily, in these ideas and so father i just pray you would uh, help us to understand that help us to continue to make a commitment to live daily for you not just say things about our god but live those things and so father i just thank you help us as we uh, look to apply some of these things to our lives in jesus name amen
So we're talking about here offering the sacrifice, and specifically the sacrifice of peace offerings, he said. And again, I'm not going to review the total offering procedure that we did for the first few weeks, but this peace offering is that reconciliation before God. Okay, And we remember that there were certain offerings that smelled good to God and certain offerings that stank. Okay, Those ones that stink, God didn't really like, but they were necessary and they dealt with our sins. Okay, The ones that God loves are voluntary, free offerings. You get to give them when you want to because you love the Lord and thank Him. Well, that's what we're talking about. If you're going to come and offer an offering unto the Lord to reconcile, to, to help your relationship with God, and we pictured the peace offering mostly like the Lord's Supper. That we say, let a man so examine himself. You know, none of us come and uh, force you to take the Lord's Supper, do we? Okay, I, I haven't seen any of the deacons say, open up! Okay, it's something we do of our free will. Because we're asking the Lord, Father, how am I doing? I'm examining myself. Lord, I've been trying my best. And I want to sit down with you and double check. Hey, that's the idea, the image behind this. And he says, listen, if you're going to take this offering, you're going to offer this sacrifice of, uh, of the notice that it is tied directly to the third day. I love that. Now, anytime, and I hope you're understanding as the scripture's teaching us, there are rules of Bible study. And some of those are uh, when you see things like a lamb in the Bible, God's trying to show us something. Okay, when you see things like that, when you see something like the third day, can you tell me something that happened on the third day that makes it important? Okay, that's the resurrection of Christ. That is when Jesus won the victory at Calvary. He died, was buried, and rose again on that third day. Well, do you see the picture here? He says, if you're going to have a reconciliation with God, it is tied directly to that third day. But notice something else. It is so important on that third day that you better not violate the third day. Now, there's a couple of interesting concepts that we can draw from this. Number one is nothing can be added to what Jesus has already done. If you don't get it done on the third day, it doesn't get done. Do you get it? Here's the offering. On the third, but if it, if it's not by the third day, then it's an abomination to the Lord. Jesus took care of everything that needed to get taken care of on the third day. You can't add anything to it. You can't subtract anything from it. And the reason that you and I can have a relationship with God is not because we're awesome people. It's not because you're sitting in church today. It's not because you're giving money to the poor, doing something else. It is because of what Jesus Christ has already accomplished, period. And if you can't get it on the third day, you don't get it at all. It's an abomination. You with me on that? I wanted us to understand that. That remember, everything that you and I do in regards to our relationship with God has already been taken care of on the cross. But Pastor, you don't understand. I lived a miserable week this week. It was one of the worst weeks I've ever had. And I just don't understand how God could love me, how God could use me. Matter of fact, I even pondered whether or not I'm actually a believer. You ever have one of those weeks? Well, stop thinking it's about you. It's never been about you. It's always been about what he's already done. I'll have the opportunity to do funerals now and then, and 
I get up in front of people and, you know, uh, and say, you know why I'm going to heaven when I die? Because I'm a pastor. <laughs> right? That's why. Or, or, you know, no, 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 because uh, I've been going to church since I was like born. <clears throat> since I was, mom could carry me into the church. That's the reason why. Or, you know, because my grandma went to church. No, I'm going to heaven when I die and my sins are forgiven because God makes promises that he keeps. If you believe what he has said, that's all that it takes. I don't have to make any other additions to what Christ has already done to make sure that I am reconciled to my God. And Ephesians chapter 2, let's turn there. I, I hate trying to quote things and I don't get them right. We'll read uh, the whole passage together. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us about how we achieve peace with God. We're offering this peace offering. You're looking to get your heart settled and know that. And boy, I'll tell you what. I thank the Lord for God's peace. There's so many things going on in this world that I can understand why people are running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Because if you didn't have the peace of God in your heart, you didn't know absolutely sure that there was a sovereign God who's in control of everything. And no matter how shaky it looks out there, he's made promises he'll always keep. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 14. For he, that's Christ, because the verse beforehand, but now in Christ. So, for he is our peace who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of, one, of twain one new man, so making peace. So he says he came, he is our peace. He took the Jews and the Gentiles and made one new thing called a Christian, and made peace, and then down into verse 17, it says, and came and preached peace. You want to know how you get peace? Jesus Christ is peace. Okay, And that's why it's so amazing that God, even back here in the Levitical law, says it was accomplished by the third day. If it didn't happen by the third day, it didn't happen at all. Because he's reminding us. Our peace comes from a relationship with God. Anything else is an abomination. I'm glad that I don't have to try to add anything to it. Now, does he expect me to live like him? Hold that thought. We'll be there in a minute. But I'm thankful that it's not dependent upon, man, if I can't keep the Ten Commandments, I'm going to... You can't keep the Ten Commandments. Anybody who tries and says they can, they're lying. You can't. If you say it without sin, you make God a liar. He already took care of everything. You and I just have to try our best to walk like he would walk. Look if you would to the next one. He talks about our stewardship. Verse 9. When ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of the field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest, and thou shalt not glean the vineyards, neither shalt thou take every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord thy God. 
in the harvest, there are three parts. Okay, there are the first fruits, there is the main bulk of the harvest, and there are the gleanings. Okay, and this is very important that we understand this, what he's talking about here. Uh, number one, I gotta, I gotta deal with this before we go any further, is the first fruits. Okay, the first fruits belong to God. Okay, and there's an established picture here. I, I need us to understand this. Matter of fact, if you turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, if not, I'll read it to you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, he makes it very clear. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Okay, he says the first fruits are to be the Lord's. Exodus. Now I'll circle back to this in a second. Exodus chapter 23. As he's establishing these truths, he says, Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, the first of the first fruits of the land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seed a kid in his mother's milk. And if you go back to chapter 22, verse 29, thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits, or of thy liquor, or the firstborn sons of that thou shalt give unto me. Likewise, thou shalt do uh, with thine oxen and thy sheep. Now listen to this. Seven days it shall be with his dam. On the eighth day thou shalt give it me. You see that again? I told you we would get back to that. Even here God says, listen, the first fruits, when that animal is born, or when you reap the harvest, okay, seven days you'll leave it with its mother. But on the eighth day, the first day, you're going to bring it and give it to me. And we talked last week about how important it is to see the seventh and the first together, how they're tied so closely. So the teaching of the first fruits is it belongs to God. Now, let me remind all of us and myself included, all of it belongs to God, right? But the first fruits is something that was supposed to be given to the Lord. You bring it to God's house, you give it to the Lord. That's what he says. Um, and that might seem strange, but I want to remind us what our culture has done, even with Christians. And that is, um, well, I'll pay all my bills, take care of all my needs, do everything I'm supposed to do, and then whatever is left over, I might think about giving to God. But it's not how God works. God says the first fruits belong to me. Now, see, we don't necessarily deal with the first fruits anymore because how many of you are farmers? Okay. Now, I know we might plant some stuff, and I get excited about that when you finally can go out and pull your first red tomatoes off the vine. Okay, you've been working so hard, and they're, you see them, they're green, and you're just waiting, and, you know, or those cucumbers finally come out or whatever. And zucchini, and then you can't stop them from coming out. Okay, and nobody will take them. There's an excitement. But understand, if your life is based upon your harvest, how many of you had a good harvest this year? It was tough because it was a really rainy, bad summer, wasn't it? So if you were to give the first fruits unto God, you really don't know whether or not the rest of the harvest is yours, do you? That first part comes into your hand and you're like, Woo! I'm so excited. 
But you have to turn that over to the Lord and hope that a hailstorm doesn't come through or some blazing heat or a monsoon. Okay, I thought this summer I saw animals lining up two by two. Okay. The first fruits, not the last fruits are the Lord's, but the first fruits, which basically you are reminding God it's all yours, and I completely trust you that the rest of the harvest is going to be provided. That's what God does. When you give him the first fruits, you are recognizing that he is the one responsible for everything that you have. But notice something else. So you take the, the, the main harvest, and you take that to yourself, but you don't get the whole harvest. You were supposed to leave the gleanings. Okay, and many of us know the story from Ruth, right, where they come back and they're really uh, destitute. And uh, Ruth must have been taught by Naomi pretty well because she understood this law of the gleanings, that she could go to a field nearby and the servants were told to leave the corners of the field full of grain and harvest so that the poor and those who were in need could come and gather some of that food for their own selves. And that's exactly what Ruth does. This is a you know, teaching down through God's word. Interestingly enough, um, if we're not careful, we begin to think, well, this is all mine anyway. And I'm going to get every drop. I'm going to squeeze it out. Again, we're talking about an attitude versus materialism. Number one, the first part belongs to the Lord. He's going to give you a harvest, but you better be ready to share with some others. Now, I'm trying not to make this too political, but I can't help it. Notice that you leave some in the field. You didn't pick it and carry it to the poor person's house who was sitting around waiting for it. You with me? We have this idea that, uh, that there's part of our, our uh, culture, part of our population, that should just sit around twiddling their thumbs, and the rest of us who are working for a living ought to just hand them stuff. They had to get out and work for this. They had to go to the field and pick it. Yes, it was there and left for them, but they had to pick it for themselves. Um, there's a, a verse here that I like, and I, I did a little digging into it. You know that verse in Philippines? Oh, Philippines. <laughs> I guess it's a verse in the Philippines as well. I mean, it's a verse all over the planet. But And it says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You know what that word need means? Uh, you find it in the Bible most of the time as need, but it's also translated as employment. Now, put that in there for a second. My God shall supply all your employment. Doesn't mean you're going to sit around and do nothing. It means he's going to provide a way in which you can get what you need. All right? Again, I'm trying not to be too political, but here, you were not supposed to say, oh, tell your workers in the field to gather up all the extra and bring it to the poor. You left it, and the poor got up and got over there and took it. Okay, uh, number one, another one, and this is very important because it's being taught incorrectly in Christianity, in Christendom, okay, that charity is given, charity is never taken. You hearing me? Charity is given, it is never taken. 
Meaning, if someone's telling you they're going to come and take stuff from you to give to the poor, that is not the biblical way. The biblical way is someone who has been blessed of God lovingly gives to those who are in need. It is not taken by anyone else and given to the poor. And we have a culture right now where our government and even in churches and things like that are giving you the idea that you need to go take from those who have to provide from the poor. That has never been the Bible's way. The Bible's way is someone who has lovingly gives. It is not an outsider who comes in and says, you got too much, give it to me, and I'm going to give it to the poor. That is not biblical. And if it's put out that way, it, they are lying. Okay, That is not the way it's supposed to work. Yes, we see people who are in need and we give. But you don't see people who are in need and decide, I'm going to take from that person and fill their needs. That is an entire philosophical, governmental concept that is trying to be pushed down our throat right now. And it is not biblical. And someone who wants to tell you that that is biblical is incorrect. 